Welcome to the Austin Art Talk podcast. My name is Scott David Gordon, your host. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and I do hope you're enjoying the interviews I've been sharing. The focus of this podcast is on the creative people of Austin, Texas. My intention is to have conversations that are meaningful, inspiring, and in-depth, with the goal of making a connection first with the person I'm interviewing, hopefully adding value to their life and career, and then sharing that content with the local community and potentially anyone in the world. Please share any feedback you have and leave me a rating and review on iTunes. That could help others find the podcast and inspire them to take a chance and give it a try. And if you're listening to this through an app on your phone, be sure to visit austinarttalk.com on your computer to get the full effect of each episode's webpage and to follow the links provided that are relevant to the guests and what we talk about. And if you are finding value in these interviews, there are a few ways you can support me and the weekly production of the podcast that are listed on the support page of the website. And I want to show some appreciation to three new Patreon supporters, Charles, Nora, and Becca. I'm so grateful for your monthly contributions and acknowledgement of this project, which I want to continue to create and improve and hopefully provide a valuable resource for artists in Austin and beyond. Paul Swallow practices and inhabits many different forms of art, theater, performance, music, dance and choreography, costumes, and ways of self-expression. More than creating a singular piece of art, he's utilizing his body, voice, creativity, and soul to craft a unique and inspiring experience for his audience, one that he would want to witness himself. Rebecca Havemeyer and Christine Vale are his most well-known and traveled characters. Having survived an intense previous two months, Paul has found a feeling of accomplishment and clarity. Christine released a new album, and at the same time, Rebecca had her first full-on one-woman show. It was fun getting to know his work in anticipation of the interview. What he creates is appreciated and followed worldwide, and he's got a busy year ahead touring and promoting Christine's new album. Fans of Paul will adore this conversation, and those who don't know him will, I think, come away with some new perspectives, quite a few laughs, and an appreciation for what Paul is doing, even if it's not your cup of tea. And if you're not a fan of the F word, or are in earshot of children, please take precautions. Here is Paul. Okay, Paul, well, thanks for being on my podcast. Yes, thank you for having me. (laughs) Thanks for coming over to talk to me. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of you in the last month. Uh, we run into each other a couple times. I went to your Christine Waterloo album release and the one at Moha, and I saw Winky the other night. Yeah, you've done more than most of my friends do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, I really enjoyed all of it, and I wanted to kind of experience uh, different sides of what you do. My friends do come out, too. Yeah. I didn't mean to poo-poo on them at the beginning of a podcast. <laughs> but you did all of it. Sometimes I'll be like, I'll go to one. And then, you know, everybody's got engagements these days. Yeah. So. Well, that's the way Austin is. There's so many damn things going on. Yeah. Night. It's yeah. hard to pick Hard to show things. up to all of it. Yeah. So, yeah. How would you even describe what you do? I mean, would you say you do different characters? Is that kind of how you think about it? I guess so. Like, it's hard to, like find the name for it. I started in theater, so it was always it started out as theater. Yeah. And then you, and then it was just like, oh, you're an actor cuz like it was you know, more theater and then film based, like headshots and all that kind of caca with agents yeah. and the the game of that in a New York setting and then 
And then you kind of like figured out that doesn't work for me. I'm not going to be commercially, uh, you know, attractive to people. Or try uh, with, to fit into someone Yeah, else's. with the stuff that I wanted to do and what I was doing. And then the more it evolved into like doing these personas, I guess, these characters and things, um, it just got further and further away from something that could be kind of labeled as such or marketed or compartmentalized into a certain thing. So it just started letting it do its own thing. Um, mm-hmm. So multidisciplinary artist, <laughs> which I can't freaking stand anymore. Can I cuss on this podcast? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't fucking stand that anymore. But like, it's just, everyone's kind of like, everyone needs a name for something, but it's like, I just say I'm a shapeshifter, you know, yeah. or, uh, well, speaking of names and labels, I mean, we could talk about gender, too. That's definitely something yeah. I want to talk about. Yeah, like, good Lord, let's pour out that big melting pot of cray. Um, you know, there's, I mean, I'm totally dabbling in many genders or just, like, non-human forms, you know. So, yeah. um, that's exciting to me. And, again, I don't know how to, like, to, to label that or to say, I guess at the end, you're just a freaking artist, you know. I'm doing I'm an artist. That's all. Yeah. I don't know what kind I am, and I don't know what I'm just following the little, the gut telling me what to do. So yeah. And how long do you feel like you've been an artist? Do you do you remember back to when you were a kid? Oh yeah, like always. Like it was more like I said, like it was like mostly theater based. They didn't offer a lot of art options in school in like Charles, Louisiana, <laughs> like football or get out of here, you know. So uh, yeah, we didn't have theater when I was growing up except for we had community theater. So I did like, I did things like that. Like in grade school, I did community theater, which was, I'm very fond of my community theater days, but like if when I go and see the movie waiting for Guffman or something, I'm like, Oh yeah, there it is. You know, it's like really very bless its heart, you know? So you enjoyed it. It wasn't, Oh, I loved it. No, no. It was like, Oh my God, it was heaven. Oh, I loved it. I mean, it's like, and it was outside of school, but then like your, your teacher from school was in the theater too. So you got to like have special relationships with, you know, with people in the community that were, it was outside of like the normal, the normal settings you'd see people, you know, you're like backstage with someone who you would maybe normally would see at church or at school, but you were like having a more personal relationship with these people that were kind of like, um, regulated, you know, or, or, yeah. or a parental figure, you know, you can't, and they're seeing a different side of you too. Exactly. Obviously. So yeah, community theater was really great for me. What I were some it. of your favorite characters that you played? <laughs> if I was like, terrible. I mean, it's like, I was at Scrooge. I wanted to be Tiny Tim. I was a street urchin. You know, <laughs> like I was uh, not cast in Gypsy at as anything. Um, we did Scrooge. I remember Scrooge. I remember like Food, Glorious Food was the first song I sang ever for an audition from Oliver. Oh, yeah. You know, food, did you ever have Glorious oh, yeah. Food? That thing. Did I ever have what? Voice lessons? No. I mean, no, you know, Never voice in lessons life? like Charles. No, I did, oh, later. did later. Okay, here there's an opera singer in Austin named Liz Cass, mm-hmm. and Liz is the shit. And uh, when I was doing Christine early on, I was just killing myself, yeah, vocally. And yeah. so I figured, like, I need to start to figure out how to do this because I'm like, I have to have that surgery on my lip, and my nose, or what all yeah, that crap yeah, yeah. I'm reading about. Um, and we all saw what happened to Julie Andrews, so right. you know, uh, so yeah, Liz taught me. I was like, I just need to learn how to 
where this needs to come from. So she, as an opera singer, taught me like where to breathe from, where to push from. Mm-hmm. Um, it really helped me. I still, I mean, I use it. It's ingrained, you know. Yeah. So, and then I, I had some Kaka DVD, like the art of screaming or some shit like that, you know, <laughs> some screaming guru or you know. So I knew that like things that I was doing it weren't sustainable. Okay. At the level, excuse me, I just burped on your podcast. <laughs> I just had some granola and yogurt. At the level, I forgot everyone can hear everything. Um, at the level of which I was like performing, I knew that I needed to like. I mean, it's fun to tear up, but I, you know, yeah, yeah, I was I was feeling it. it. I was feeling yeah. it after long tours. Yeah, you don't want to hurt yourself. So yeah, later on, I had when I got a little responsible about it. Maybe four years ago or. Oh. Five years ago, I got I hung out with Liz. Maybe it was more than that. I'm bad with the years. Yeah. And when you were back to kind of when you were a kid doing community theater, theater was your was your family supportive or were they involved in that? Yeah. Were they artists too? Or were no, they? Well, my dad's a vet, veterinarian, veterinarian, not not vet, but vet. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they that was like the big kind of environment i grew up in was like watching surgeries at a vet clinic oh. and you know like i was in that strange world which i really loved and oh, okay. i was the kid who like i'd be in the waiting room when my dad would tell the clients that well we're gonna have to put your da- your dog down and i'd be like uh, like crying like don't do it dad and he'd be like get him out of here you know like i was not one to make things better but um yeah the family like they were supportive i was really fortunate like I think most kids like me in small towns like that with religious weight upon the shoulders of many in that community and Mm. things like that. Like, I don't know. Like, I was, I don't know what the hell happened, but something was okay with my family in terms of them being kind of more about understanding the way I was instead Mm. of, instead of stopping the way I was. So, um, you know, I've had talks with them before about, I was like, what the hell were y'all thinking when I was like playing with dolls when, kindergarten and things like yeah. that you know and they they told me they were like yeah we we sent you to a shrink to see you know we they were just trying to find out things yeah like were, were they doing something wrong uh you know just normal questions i would imagine any parent would mm-hmm. have about why is my child acting different than the other kids yeah but they were open to it and when they knew i hated sports after they tried me in every sport you know what i mean like i played t-ball i played soccer i played you know until i got to gymnastics i was pretty miserable and then i got to gymnastics and i could wear those fancy clothes and i was like going through the catalog of like i want those asics shoes and those spandex shorts (laughs) and uh it was really more about fashion than it was about backflips and shit but i liked that you know did but you yeah. feel like a misfit in the community in no. any way? Or? No, I blended really well. Mm. Like it was a, I think I look back on it now and it's like very survival kind of like I was kind of the kid who made friends with all the groups. Mm-hmm. I think it was more for safety. Yeah. Like if I think I figured if I could get them all to kind of be my friend, then if one of them turned on me or if there was danger, then I would have others to protect or yeah. to lean on. So I guess I wasn't so much of like a renegade outsider kid as more of a chameleon. I would protect myself by being able to like kind of blend in or fall into different social groups. So you had fear of people seeing who you really were? No, I just knew I was like not like the other kids. Like I knew at an early age I liked boys. Like I was like a freshman in high school Mm -hmm. when I knew that in a Catholic high school. So you know that you're 
doing something exciting but yet dangerous at the same time. But danger never really like came into play with me. So it was more just about like just watching your ass, really. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I knew I was like doing things that weren't normal for my upbringing and where I was. Was it a big deal to come out to your parents or? Kind of, but no, I just did. I mean, I really sat them down like one by one and told them. And I was like, I was very, I don't know, I was lucky to find some cool friends and this cool guy and we were doing speech and debate in high school because we didn't have theater. Yeah. So I didn't do debate, I did speech. So it was like (laughs) dramatic interp, duet acting. You know, oh my God, I've, I want to, yeah, somebody needs to make a movie about speech and debate in high school. <laughs> it's like the next Guffman or some oh, shit. Right. But um, I really was exposed to weird, I don't know how, but like, I just remember, I remember me and my boyfriend like found some pamphlet <laughs> for like the Harvey Milk School in San Francisco. Like, I don't, we, we searched a lot for people like us, you oh, know? Yeah. Um, and I remember us planning to leave Lake Charles to go to the Harvey Milk School. Or, you know, yeah. like, we had these designs of, like, where are we going to get away to? And there was, like, there's one gay bar in uh, Lake Charles. It's still there. It's called Crystals. Uh-huh. You enter from the rear. Right. There's a big arrow in the back <laughs> lot. It says, enter from rear. It was like, duh. But we used to <laughs> hang out in the parking lot there before we could get into bars and just hang out with the gays in the parking lot. Yeah. And they were cool. They never like tried to get up on us and stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, but we, I think they just kind of realized we were these two young teenagers who were looking for people like themselves. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I was exposed to things where I needed to be. And I think I've just always been fortunate to have something watching over me somewhere so I don't fuck up too bad. I'm mm-hmm. still here after all the crazy shit I've gotten into. So it's reassuring, you know, that yeah. there's something going on. When did you finally leave there? Or? Uh, I just nat- I went to high school, and then after high school, I left and did what most people do. You either go to Austin or New Orleans when you leave Lake Charles. And yeah. I didn't have any Austin connections, yeah. nor did I want to go to Texas. Uh, so I went to New Orleans because everybody was there. And New Orleans is, I believe, way more fun than Austin okay. at that age. <laughs> uh, duh. So uh, drinking age was like, what, 19, 18? It was weird. I was like, that a lower drinking age yeah. back then. So, yeah, it was a no-brainer. So I went to New Orleans for college. And then after that was over, I went to New York. Did you and, study theater in college? Or? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And how was that? How did well, that influence you? I mean, what, what it, did you learn? You know? uh, I learned that school's probably not the best thing for theater <laughs> in okay. Louisiana. You know, I don't know. It was good. But it's like, I don't know. I always go to, go to something for something and then end up... Really, I always enjoyed the people more. I enjoyed the social scenes more than anything that the school was doing for me. You know, I did productions. I did. I was. It was. I was fortunate to have good experiences through the school. Like, I met some really wonderful teachers who, you know, expanded our horizons outside of school. Hmm. You know, so I was able to go to Oxford and study Shakespeare through this one teacher, like Francine Siegel was her name, and she like she had gone, and then she brought us uh, some of us kids over there to study, and then I did a Soderbergh film uh, out of sight, and because they Steven Soderbergh was shooting that film like at Angola Penitentiary, and they would go around to the universities mm-hmm. looking for our actors because they didn't want to pay anybody, you know, right. and so you know like there were great things that came out of that world, and 
in the school itself, I loved my peers there, and there's some of my best friends I still have today hmm. that I met. But I'm always more people person or more out of the school experience. Even when I went to Oxford and studied, it was like I was really more into the people I was meeting and what we were doing outside of the program than I gave a shit about the program. Yeah, um, it just kind of I just fall into those those kinds of situations. I'm, I like people more than I like the procedure of doing the work yeah you know? did you always feel like you were kind of a natural performer i mean did it just yeah. come to you easily no i was a clown when i was a kid like i was always i was the clown you know yeah. so i'm yeah put a give me one clap and a giggle and i'm i'm yours you know <laughs> so my silky my friend silky makes fun of me all the time she's like jesus like she sees it happen it's like one person gives me one reaction and i'm like Bleh. so yeah i'm a i'm a total needy clown <laughs> so. and, and even in college you were still just kind of trying to fit into these kind of mainstream roles and kind of plays and yeah or did you start doing anything no on your I, own or yeah well i was you know you gravitate towards what's offering you what you're looking for hopefully you know like hopefully life kind of spins you in the directions of the things that your gut wants you to do and serendipitous moments and things and so i just started falling into the more interesting strange birds around mm-hmm. and I remember getting introduced to like Jean Genet and we did a production of the maids. Like one of the actors I knew had um, that show as his thesis. So he cast me and this other guy, Chris. And like, I remember things like that, like opening up to Jean Genet in college and being like, Whoa, who is this person? And what is this production that's written for men playing women? And then these really beautiful kind of layers of who was Madame and who was Claire and who was the like, all of that started, you don't get that shit in Lake Charles, you know? Yeah. So those things were were wonderful, and, and those were, like, starting to really influence my way of, like, different different environment, different places to start digging for gold mm-hmm. outside of a Shakespearean school program and, and those things. You know, we did traditional plays, like, yeah. you name it, you know, it was like, like college plays, so... But then it really opened up when you got to New York, right? Yeah, New York was when, yeah, that was like gold mine, and they were just like meeting people and just like certain people were just like banging it out. These things, like I had this one friend Nick who like I always look back on it, but like I mean that he introduced me to like so much stuff, like movies and mm-hmm. just people who really blew my mind that I could find some relation. I always just think of like. Nick always showed me all the Jean Cocteau movies and I, like Blood of a Poet and Orpheus and all. And I was just like, those things. I just vividly remember being introduced to that and just like falling apart. Yeah. Like finding that. And, and I re- that had a huge influence on me, oh. uh, Cocteau's films. And I don't know why. I, I mean, I just, they just really did uh, crack a lot of things open for me. Um, different ways of approaching things and different platforms upon which you can put work and just the the beauty that he created through the simplest things. I don't know. It was just really beautiful. And it, it was a kind of queer, a kind of like uh, mystical, spiritual kind of faggishness that was like eccentric and mysterious and... Um, Probably no rules, really. No rules and like really finding ways to display his work that different ways that weren't normal, you know, that, mm-hmm. that were just very, very attractive to me. Uh, that had a big influence on my life. And like James Bidgood, like Pink Narcissus, 
that was really, really big for me. Mm. Just the colors and the textures and the so sexually charged in this way that, that I don't know, just really spoke to me. And and then the people around town, the eccentrics in New York, the actual people in front of you, like, there's a lot to take in. And I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it a lot. So yeah. much so that I was like, I'm getting out of here because <laughs> I'm enjoying it so much, you know? Yeah. Uh, it was good times. It was. I was very happy with what I was exposed to in those years. It was like seven years I lived there. And what were you also doing as far as performance goes? I mean, I played the stupid game of like that old headshot agent yeah. game, which is just not for me. I can't stand it. There's just so many people doing that there. And I knew that I was kind of destined for something different. And so I didn't know what that was, but I knew that if I just kind of, my gut was like, if you just keep kind of recklessly hanging out with these people who are showing you, exposing you to things and uh, keeping yourself alive and not hurting anybody, <laughs> then you'll be okay, you know? Yeah. Um, so I just eventually just got fed up with the whole thing. And I just mm. like, I just started working and I worked in a bar that had like these drag queens. I worked at this bar called Barracuda in Chelsea and it was kind of the butchier bar, the dirtier bar of Chelsea when Chelsea was really beefed up and muscled up and mm-hmm. manned up, you know. And I, I saw a lot of drag queens every night there that are very well-known drag queens that each had their own night. So it was kind of like a grad school of mm. of madness that I was cocktail waiting in. So I learned a lot of things from them. And then I had these two friends of mine that I moved there and they were the only people I knew, uh, Brooks and Steven. And they were like kind of my mentors in they really laid down the foundation for like Rebecca Havemeyer and hmm. they really taught me about pretty much all the skills I have as Rebecca. I learned from Brooks and Steven, like songwriting and rhyming and humor and the way to deliver it. And they, they taught me so, so much. I was just this kid sitting there watching them go mm-hmm. off all the time. So yeah, New York was really like in every way that it wasn't supposed to be. Like you go to New York, you know, like I in, in leaving the traditional avenues of a New York actor mm-hmm. and what they should take when you when they go there. Like I discovered, luckily, kind of the path that would kind of educate me in the directions in which I've kind of ended up today. Mm-hmm. And that's just a lot of luck and chance. Mm-hmm. And but then following your gut, you know, listening to your gut, which it's a slow process. Yeah. Do you think you're pretty good at tuning into your intuition? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. If I'm not, I'm something's, I know it doesn't feel right, you know? And so what, what exactly did you get fed up with where you felt like you had to leave New York? Oh, I wasn't fed up. I was like, it was more like a danger red light it was like, oh. oh, you need to like, like Rebecca came out of me in New York and I, yeah. I was like, these things, like, I, I really wanted my own character. I really wanted to kind of, like, explore my own thing. So I was also having large amounts of fun yeah. and large amounts of, like, <laughs> yeah, you're learning, but you're having a good time, too. You know, yeah. like, I can handle my shit in the in the nightlife and have a good time. So um, I was like, you know, and if you really want to pursue this character and these directions of having, of creating your own uh. kind of world of of rebecca and such uh i was like you need to probably leave new york cause okay there's just too many distractions that's too much fun and it's just that shit don't stop like you're in a bubble there you're in a bubble everywhere you live but that's a bubble you know 
And, uh, so you just needed some time to go deeper and like some. Yeah, I mean, you can make it sound smart like that, yeah. but it was like I just need to get the fuck out of here. So and uh, <laughs> so New Orleans, which I had been in school, had a huge surge of work. Like they lowered their taxes for film, and oh, so yeah. they had tons of film going through there, tons of it, and agents were there. And so I was like, "Fuck, I can go back to New York. I mean, to New Orleans, mm-hmm. and go. I've already had my fun there, so I ain't there to party. I'm there to work." So. It was a really exciting time to go back there, mm. get a place with some friends, have an agent, do some work, you know, and then the hurricane fucked it all up. So, yeah. And that's how I ended up here. So, you know, yeah, it was like a little bounce around there for a while, which, so, yeah. Yeah. So it was okay in a way, as far as maybe trying to be in doing films to kind of go with the flow and do the headshot thing for a little while. Or? Oh, yeah. I mean, if any, it's always going to be there. Yeah. So. It just wasn't the game I wanted to play. It was a game, and I just didn't want to invest. I'd rather invest in the game of what I'm doing and give my time and energy to that than to this these chances of who. It's really just who knows who, and you're just handing your power over to someone else. Yeah, and I just like, but also too, I'm just not cut out for that shit, for that screen testing, and I'm terrible at screen tests and. Oh, I hate them. I've tried to do them here in Austin. People will sometimes call them, you know, be like, oh, there's this film you might be good for. Come do a screen test and I'll do it. I'm like, oh my God. Like, I hope, Lord, I hope every screen test I've ever done is burned and buried in some (laughs) devil backyard somewhere far away because they're like rotten to the core, you know? Um, They're terrible. I hate them. Mm. I just, I can't do it. I can't. Well, you, you know? don't have to, right? No, I don't. I won't. So, yeah. I well, won't. what was, I don't know if it's too painful to talk about, what was Katrina like? Oh, I mean, no, it's like, it happened, you know? And it's like, it was a wretched, the aftermath was just wretched when you're just like, because you go into survival mode, hopefully, you know? And it's like, okay, what do I got to do? What do I got to do? So you're just really, you're not sitting around thinking about what it just happened. You're like, where the fuck am i going next mm-hmm. so that was just weird like we went to atlanta for six months me and my friends and it's just like driving around looking for apartments looking like you it's just a weird weird time state of mind and very chaotic and bipolar and emotions and mm-hmm. everything you know so it was a weird weird time um not a time for probably doing anything creative or really well no actually it did like i mean because when you got to atlanta me and some theater fags that i was there with we were all there and that was like the first thing we tried to do it's like i was like well i need to get rebecca somewhere i need to you know what i mean it was like Mm. where are we gonna do shows where can we do anything so i mean that's how my survival mode works Mm, so it was like shit like that's all you had to get your head out of madness oh yeah yeah so there was a lot of work of that, but then there was a lot of like drinking and a lot of like sitting in the park and being like, what the hell's going on? Like, it was just weird, you know? Um, Where do I belong? Or- yeah. And just, yeah, just weird, really weird. And then a friend of mine, Brent Joseph, who always kind of introduces me to people and places, he lived here and was like, come visit this and I think you might like Austin. And I was like, whatever, like Texas, like I'm not going to Texas. Yeah. And there was like a house party Brent took me to and I met lots of people and you just kind of know there's your gut right there. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, cool. So I packed it up and came here and then what year was that? 2006 Mm -hmm. going on seven end of 2006. Yeah. 
And then I met the folks that I still work with today. Like there was lots of things here that attracted me to stay. So I stayed and it's been the best decade of my life. Yeah. Fruitfully, creatively. I love everything that's happened here. So, you know, then you question all that jibber jabber of everything's happened for a reason. <laughs> like, okay. Well, you know, I'm happy about it. So I can say that nice things came from really ugly things. Yeah. So it's good. I don't know what I'd be doing if I was in New Orleans still. Probably not Christine because she didn't happen back then. Yeah. So I ain't going to question that shit. I'm just going to keep on going. Mm-hmm. So. And what did, how did Rebecca develop when she moved here? You just started really working on it? Um, yeah, I, I started doing Camp Camp, which was this open mic at the old Bolton Creek in the backyard. And that's where I met like Silky and Ray and God, Scott Tankersley and I mean, everybody, Rachel Shannon, like the whole crew of diehard good family I've got here mm-hmm. who were doing so many amazing things that I'd never seen before. Mm. Again, like New York, same thing with Austin, like this open mic. And like, the que- I'd never been in a real queer community. I was always like, you know, in New York, so segregated in ways of which I was like, I was always with guys and the gays and the f- Chelsea bars of the East Village and mm-hmm. um, not a big presence of dykes and trans and, and just like, they didn't hang out together at all. So when I got to Austin, there was this really beautiful mix of everybody hanging out, or at least I ha- I happily fell into that group. Mm-hmm. You still have 4th Street, and you still have the boy bars and all that kind of stuff, but I fell into some good people, again, because Brent introduced me to people, Brent Joseph, so I owe him a lot. Um, but I fell into those people, and yeah, that was it. That's all I needed. I was like, wow. And then I started doing Rebecca at the Camp Camp Nights, and then they all, you know, she made friends real quick because she's that kind of girl. Mm-hmm. And so then that work started really expanding and flourishing. And I was for writing songs for the open mics. Because it's not like open mic. Like, it was more like you're in a living room. It was a salon, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really special. So uh, I started doing her there. And then I started doing Christmas shows with her and Valentine shows with her. And then that expanded into meeting Stanley Roy and little stolen moments and silky involved and doing bigger Christmas shows, which are now like 13th year Christmas shows mm. we do together. So, um, yeah, Rebecca naturally was on the front burner, ready to roll. Like that was my goal and that was what I had and what I wanted to work on. So, and then the Christine stuff came through and I did theater here, all that I still do. So, yeah, it's mm-hmm. been a real fruitful environment. And what's what was like the kind of the genesis of Christine, or how did that? When that did was, that start? I, that was just like all of the crap that had been bubbling and brewing through that hurricane mess. And then um, I had desires, like I've, you know, I've said this before, like just the desires of like something different than Rebecca and something more dangerous, and just again, it's like things inside you that you have to find. Um, the right mold or the right vessel or something to accommodate those things. Uh, Rebecca was a product of feelings I was feeling in New York when I was happy and working and meeting people and being exposed to new things and had my fetish on Hollywood, old Hollywood and old Hollywood accents and weird old money and all of those kind of dames and characters. Mm -hmm. And so Christine, again, was a reflection of darker things and more sexual things and gender identity things and happy things that were just a different kind of happy. Uh, so 
through the mass of the hurricane and moving and life patterns changing, the excessiveness of New York being downgraded to the limited access of Austin, Texas, mm -hmm. the variety of New York sexually um, in, er in every way, variety of New York, the buffet of New York being downsized to a cafeteria of Austin, Texas. Mm -hmm. Those things affected me greatly, you know? Um, so I think all of that came out in Christine. And that creature I created was the perfect vessel for those feelings and still is. And allowed me, Christine allowed me outlets that Rebecca couldn't. You know, I'm writing music for Christine and composing it and working with wonderful people and having it produced. Whereas Rebecca, what I was taught from my Brooks and Steven was you get an old song, you steal it, you take their words out and put your words in and make it work for you. And I'm like, yay, you know? So um, Christine really allowed theatrically everything to come out. Like you're making costumes, you're choreographing. It's like every theater fag slash rock star's dream is like Christine kind of allows you to do all of that and be all of that. So it's a very powerful drug. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to hold on to this one. And we went on some dates and we're married now <laughs> we're in a very joined relationship so it's good yeah i guess one thing that i i think about in relation to christine is like if you didn't have christine like and i just think about people in general like if they don't have that kind of an outlet like where does all that stuff go well, it goes somewhere it has to go somewhere you can usually tell when it's not with a person yeah you know you, you can tell when someone's not letting it out are there they're substituting it for something you know I think a lot of people do that most people do that how do you let things out most of the time they're private things they're, people do it privately you may you know you don't know what people are doing in their homes you know so there's a million ways to let that stuff out sadly a lot of it's in shitty ways yeah with a gun or with a bible so perverse you know. ways or harmful ways if it's harmful yeah i don't mind perverse but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know because that's opinion but like yeah if you start you know the the very the ways in which we see if you're hurting someone well that's the bottom line right there right yeah so yeah um, you'd mentioned that in another interview about being a responsible human but also being provocative there's like a balance there. yeah yeah i mean you're gonna when i say hurt people i don't mean like there's a difference of physically hurting them and yeah. hurting their feelings or, you know, hurting their ideals on something that they thought was a certain way. Like, well, that's called expansion of mind. They deal with it, you know? Yeah. Like if, if it's harmful physically to someone, mm. you know, I mean, that's how my parents like kind of say when they, they don't understand necessarily what I'm doing, which I don't expect them to, that would be weird, but they're always like, as long as you're not hurting yourself, other people, mm. you know, taking care of yourself and understanding that you're you're taking care of all of that, then that's then they can be more comfortable with themselves at home knowing that, you know? So I don't know. I think that everyone has their ways of dealing with their shit, but this is the way I deal with it. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's the key to it is that I'm dealing with shit when I do these things. It's entertainment, but shit, you know, it's also like you're dealing with stuff. So, it's so just a more decorative way to do it. Yeah. And you use, don't you use these characters to discover things about yourself too? Yeah. I mean, like that's kind of, that's that fine line of, I don't know if it's a fine line, I guess in terms of audience, their knowledge of what's going on, you know? 
yeah, definitely. As as someone with the environment that I grew up in, uh, who was slapped in uniforms their whole life with a Bible. Not I wasn't like whipped by nuns and all that shit. Yeah. You know, I went to fucking Catholic school and I had to wear uniforms and they were strict and you couldn't do this. and you, It was just couldn't do, couldn't do, couldn't do, couldn't do. Lots of rules. Lot, yeah. There were some wonderful things about school, you know, and there were great models to, to live from of treating people kindly. And, you know, and I loved the community of school. I loved the community of church. I loved the, the singing and I loved the pageantry and, you know, the shit like that. But, but then also, like, as of late, I've been really, like, processing a lot of the amount of time spent in my very, very formative years of being told not to do something. The amount of uh, personal creative expression that I was denied as a child mm. that today, I'm sure, has heavy weight on my mind. And I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely aware of it, you know? So it's a slow, slow climb to get out of those things, of things that were placed on you as a child. Uh, everyone's got it in a different way. You know, I have lots of friends who have this intense family pressure. Like they were raised in families that just came down on them mm -hmm. and, and stifled their creativity and stifled their uh, outsiderness so much to where, you know, I have friends who just apologize for it or just really kind of, have this like very delicate bridge that can wobble and bend easily, you know, when it comes to really getting down to it. And I started thinking about whatever the hell was affected, why I think the way I do, why it takes me so long when it gets down to Paul. I, I started really realizing what were the things when I was young that, that might have, might have caused these things. And I was like, well, that has to have been one of them. Like that uniform really was, I think a lot uh, on my psyche and on how I, on my fears of allowing self-expression. Like it's easy, it's, it's, it's not easy, but for me, it's very enjoyable to put on these wigs and be these people. One, mainly because I'm an entertainer and I like to entertain people and I like what these characters do to people and to me. But then in a deeper sense, I'm very much exploring and reclaiming a lot of things about myself that were taken from me as a kid hmm. and that's a slow slow process that is so slow for me i mean i i'm at that age now where I look at what the kids are doing today you yeah. know like they don't care about gender and they don't they just dress up and color their hair and wearing ladies clothes and men's clothes and it doesn't mean shit to these kids and i love that i'm like wow that's so beautiful and then that just like totally pushes me and it's like what the hell are you worried about old man like these kids don't give a shit and you don't give a shit about what those old people think about you who are the ones who did this to you so shut the hell up get the hell out of your own way and start to enjoy yourself you know uh, how are you getting in your own way? Because I don't see you having any limits. I mean, well, you don't have any limits anymore. As well, far as that's, I can tell. well, yeah, exactly. It's, you're sitting in the audience, <laughs> <laughs> the magic of theater. <laughs> you know, like that's great. I'm glad you think that. You know, but everybody's got limits. You know, I mean, everybody's got fears of doing things. And I don't uh, know. I've, when I think of Christine, I think of no inhibitions, no absolutely. Limits. And I, mean, I, I don't even know where the edge is of Christine. It's like, I don't see any I limit to it. Yeah. I haven't fallen off anything yet. So there's, yeah, 
Yeah. So how is that not therapeutically kind of countering all this stuff from when you were a kid? I mean, there's like no limits. It is countering it therapeutically, but you also go home and take the wig off. You know what I mean? Like you go home and take that off. You go out the next day without it on. That's a different person. So Christine is Christine. Ah, yes. People know Christine. People want to hang out with Christine. People don't even know who I am. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot going on there. Yeah, how do you acknowledge yourself, right? Well, I mean, yeah. What is your own ad- your your identity? Well, yeah, what's your identity? Who the hell are you? <laughs> These are questions I start to ask myself now because I didn't care about that. It it doesn't I care about it, but like you're tapping a, a font, you're like there's oil pumping out of this thing. You're going to just collect that oil, cash that oil in and keep digging for more oil, you know? And I say like, that's how Christine and Rebecca and all these things are. Like when that shit's flowing, you're going like, you're like, that's what it is. You are discovering yourself through those things. But luckily these creatures have stuck around and they've found a place in many people's lives and they're, they're shared with people and they're part of people's lives now. And that's exciting. And now they're at a place where I can kind of pull back and look at them differently. I have to sustain them. I've got to keep them alive and interesting to me so that they can be interesting to you. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about keeping them alive. Like- yeah. At one time, I got after about three years, I got in a place with Christine where we were on tour, and I was like, I don't date. I'm very single because mm-hmm. I'm very rapid. My work comes first, and I'll, I know I'm a late bloomer in that, and I'll probably roll into something in my 50s or something when okay. I'm happy. And I'm fine with that. And Yeah. So uh, you would like a partner, like a long-term partner? Uh, I wouldn't even go so far as to say long-term. <laughs> I'd like to wake up to someone more than once and be like, how you doing? You know, yeah. no, but it's like, no, I, I do find um, a great curiosity and excitement in finding someone who's your match ah. and that you can, but I would definitely want it to be a collaborative effort and a creative effort and a, something that inspired my work. Yeah. And yeah. I would want it to be someone who's who just like those other people when I met them in New York and stuff introduced me to things I didn't know. Yeah. I don't know, but I'm just saying that out of my ass. I don't know what I want. <laughs> it's probably going to be some mechanic from Lake Charles, <laughs> which I'm totally fine with that too. Like I I'm just going to marry some old fisherman who don't give a shit about what I do. It's probably better. I ain't gonna t- I like we're really talking about what we think we're going to be with, please. Yeah, right. But um So you're talking about 3 years in. Oh yeah, so like I was working and uh I got a little three years into Christine, and I was like, I remember I was with Thomas T. Gravel, my dancer, and we were talking, and I was like, I don't, I don't know, Thomas. I was like, I'm kind of, kind of like, what's next? You know, like where is this shit going, and what's this shit doing, and why am I doing this? And and he's like, Well, how long have you been doing it? And I was like, I think we've been like three years now. And he's like, Oh, and he's like, Well, that's kind of like the spot in relationships when people say, Am I going to go forward? Are we going to break up? Mm-hmm. Are we going to, like, what are we doing next after three years? And I was like, oh. He's like, yeah, so you're kind of in relationship terms <laughs> with Christine. He's like, you're at that moment where many relationships question where they're going next. Yeah. So he's like, so you got to decide, do you want to keep Christine? What do you got to do to make that, you know, spice it up a little bit? You know, so, and I was like, oh. So I started thinking it that way. And so I was like, well, I would like to keep Christine as this lover and whatever. So what do I need to do to make Christine happy and me happy? So I gave her some new eyes and new hair and new clothes and new songs. You know, it's like spiced it up, made it fun. And I think that um, 
that was a good model for me, for her. Uh, Rebecca's always well. I don't, I don't ever get tired of Rebecca, like ever. Like that shit, <laughs> never will I get tired of her. I will die in a Rebecca outfit, in a chair, on stage, like just fall out of the chair and die <laughs> in my own club. And I'm going to come down an elevator like uh, suddenly last summer, you know, like Catherine Hepburn in her elevator coming down, like that kind of shit. Um, with a pigeon waiting. Yes, with my pigeon and a snake or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, with the Christine stuff, it was like sustainability is very important. And Christine's message is very s- strong. And there's a thing with Christine where it's like, as the person putting that out there, I feel very obligated and responsible in walking the walk and talking the talk of that. Like if Christine's telling people these things, then then I'm obviously telling myself these things. Like these are things I am grappling with Hmm. and I'm inspiring through this monster, other people to hopefully realize these things, but they are also things that I personally am dealing with. So Hmm. the more I do Christine, the more that that creation forces me to evolve closer to the person I want to be. And hopefully that's what Christine is doing for other people, which it sounds like it is for many people. People say, I I find some relation to this. There's a speaking to me or I'm inspired. I feel like I found something that understands me. And I feel that way with Christine, that this is something that understands a deeper part of myself, a darker part of myself. It's pulling things out of me. It's forcing me to evolve in areas that I have always been afraid to evolve in. So uh, that, to me, is what has to happen in order for Christine to be sustainable, is that I have to step up and evolve the way Christine's telling me and other people to do it. And if I don't do it, she's going to die. And then I'll just be bored. And I'll go back on, (laughs) you know, I don't know. Uh, go do gymnastics somewhere. I don't know. Uh, so it, there's a very interesting relationship with that work and a very deep responsibility and a deep uh, commitment to evolving and exploring and accepting myself. So mm. it's a fun ride, but... Yeah, what is it like to be on stage? Like what? Oh, it's heaven. <laughs> what was it like to do that, your album release party? Heaven. I mean, it was so beautiful. I mean, I just, I have to compliment you just i'm i'm a very visual person i just loved the colors the costumes the choreography it was all just such a beautiful production i really enjoyed in a it. really hot nasty yeah ugly place yeah which is the best like that it's beautiful being on stage it's the best and it's like um and the energy that people are giving you and they're well yeah. that's austin too you know that's like those that was family in there but also people i never met but like they stayed, you know, like the Museum of Human Achievement is the shit. It's one of our oldest. Well, it's like our oldest places. It's rather new, but it has yeah. the it has the traits and characteristic and care of like the Off Center and Salvage Vanguard Theater and Rhizome Collective and the old camp camps in the back of Bolden Creek. Like it's got that and it mm-hmm. is that and you put all that together and years of living here and meeting wonderful creative people and put all that in there and yeah they're gonna stick around in 100 boiling degree hot box weather to uh see some shit and then it was a great lineup like hey jelly and toxic water yeah and christine that's like i've been dreaming of something like that i like to make places and things that i want to go to i mean that's i think the bottom line is 
for many entertainers, I think that we're that sound is my cat scratching the <laughs> yeah. post. My house is not on fire. Um, uh, uh, I think for many entertainers, I think, I mean, I think many of us are just creating environments that we wish we could go to. That You're either someone who depends on entertainers to create those environments, or as an entertainer, you are responsible for creating that environment. Mm-hmm. And so why wouldn't you focus on something that you would love to see? I always think of, yeah, I think of like, well, this is what I would want to happen if I went out tonight. Well, then I'll make that, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. this is what I want to see on a stage. I'll make that. Um, and that particular night was like, this is how I would want to see your album release for, I don't know. It sounds weird, but like, that's kind of how it is. And that night was a really good example of a lot of good avenues and historical strands of this person and that person coming together. Like Liz Cass was there, my opera singing, yeah. you know, like she, you know, like everybody, Graham was, everybody was in there. Whoever wasn't in there, you missed out on a damn good night and yeah. you'll hear about it. Yeah. So that's fun too. Like should have been there. Were there any moments that just gave you chills or goosebumps or, I mean, made you want to cry or, I mean, how powerful was that for you? It was good. I mean, like I really loved looking out into the crowd during the show and just seeing faces and locking onto them. And like, I just remember a couple of faces I saw that were really good. Like my friend Hazy, who was like gay by gay, gay old school friend. And like Hazy's got a child now with her partner, Nikki, and they don't, it's difficult to go out, you know, with the little mm-hmm. little tyke running around. And, like, Hazy was out there sweating in the middle of the room. And I was just like, wow, there's Hazy. You know, grinning like a pig and shit. Yeah. And there's moments like that. Just, for me, what means the most, when I get the most emotional at Christine shows, is when the dancers are so part of it. Like, they mean so much to me. Like, Thomas has been doing that with me since we started. And he cares and he invests so much into it, you know. Um, and Silky and Stanley and uh, Carlos Trevino, who used to be dancing with me, he just retired because it was a lot of, you know, like he moved to Chicago and yeah. it wasn't a bad break at all. Um, that's when I'm the most happy. And that's when I get the most emotional is when I'm with them and we're doing it and we're taking care of each other. And that just means so much to me. Like the time we spend on costumes and then watching them dance around in these garbage bags with these body suits and these paper plate masks. And the fact that they go there, like, like yeah. to have friends who see that as creative and challenging and inspiring and stupid as fuck <laughs> and so base and no budget and to go there and to find something joyful in that, and then to go on stage in your panties and to wreck it like that and to own it like that and to watch them along with myself kind of get over things to, to where we can do that. Like sometimes there's insecurity. Sometimes there's like everyone's got their shit, you know? Yeah. And the Christine work, everyone I've ever worked with gets something out of it, you know? Uh, like PJ and I have been working on making those videos since like Christine wouldn't have an identity without PJ. Mm-hmm. PJ's the person who put Christine on the world map. I mean, he's a filmmaker. He took the time and the care to invest a very big chunk of his life oh, into that, you know? And it was like together we did it and we still do it together. But that's what, that's when I get the most emotional is mm-hmm. when I look at these really valuable people who not only get joy from it, but invested 
their time, their valuable time into it. And it, and it still, I would hope, pays off. And I believe it does because they're still doing it. Yeah. And we're still working together. That makes me just want to fall apart. Yeah. And those moments on stage with them is way more powerful than any audience member could ever give me. Like, uh-huh. turning around and seeing those stupid fucks behind me. Oh, it's heaven. It's heaven. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to travel solo without them, you know? Then I go into madness and thrashing and throwing myself against walls and bruised up body because I don't have that. And mm-hmm. I like that too. But if you ask me what where I get the most, it's from, it really is from that. From yeah. turning around and seeing that or like seeing PJ right there in that world, like the people who gave a fuck and give a fuck. And it's a very tight family. And we've been through a lot together and we're very personal with each other and we know each other's shit, and we help each other, and that's irreplaceable. Mm. It means a lot. And what was it like doing Winky? Oh, it was really good. <laughs> I mean, I got to like work with Carrie Atwood, and we've been hanging out for so long, and again, like a good collaborative partner, and kind of cracking open that skull of Rebecca, and seeing <laughs> it's such a fun, <laughs> it's like that board game mousetrap. Uh, when we were kids like it yeah. had like a thousand pieces and no kid you ever knew had all the pieces to mousetrap and uh <laughs> that's what it's like when the rebecca's brain and it's fun to find carrie who like someone who's also equally as crazy as rebecca and can tap into that it was so wonderful to like finally give rebecca her own show like that's mm. we've always done christmas and emceeing and charity stuff and yeah, to I felt like it was time to not only give Rebecca like her own show, but also a vehicle to get her out of Austin more. Like to this is something I'd like to put in festivals and travel mm. around with, and it's just nice. You need to have that in your pocket. I, as for me, it's like talking about survival and sustainability of a of a creation or creature or whatever. Like Rebecca's good, but Rebecca will need to travel soon, and has traveled. But I would like to have that arsenal in my purse of mm-hmm. like oh i can do this and this but here's also a show and also something evolving like it's fun to work with carrie and be like okay first round down that what how can we expand this deepen this so it was really fruitful and a successful adventure with winky uh, i'm really looking forward to kind of seeing more of it and where it wants to go it was very it was a big hill to climb it was hard to do it during christine's album release and all that and i'm secretly probably was some sort of a test as well because mm. my friends are always like you always do this you always put this shit on top of his stuff like why are you doing this and then you invite your family to come and like what are you doing and i'm like yeah i guess i do but this was like really the tightest i've ever done it so i feel better on the other end of it and i feel like i accomplished something i feel very different as a person coming out of it oh yeah tell me about that well i just feel more aware. I feel like I know what I'm doing and I know what I need to do. I just feel very level. You found clarity. Yeah. There's a clarity to it. And I found out what's important, you know, like what's important and what's not. And because mm. when you're in those tight situations, like you really start to whittle away at things that are heavy. Yeah. Uh, baggage that will keep you from and people probably too. People can be baggage, big baggage. Yeah. Airports full of baggage. People can be, <laughs> So you start to just really understand, you start to understand where people belong in your life. You don't get rid of them, 
you kind of see who's invested in what and who really gives a shit whenever you're down or if you're having a hard time, who really actually notices yeah. that you need someone, you know? Uh, I learned a lot during these past uh, months and a little before, so it was good. It was really good. Mm. I feel really good coming out of it. Mm-hmm. And now I'm ready to figure out what the fuck's next, which it's already laid it out. So just kind of have a little downtime. It's important. And get back on the... Yeah, what's like Nappy out? Mule. Well, no, I'm going to go, I'm going to tour with Christine. I got to put more effort into the album release and jump back on that wave. And we're going to go to Europe and tour. I was staying in Europe for a good, like, five months this time around. Because I've, mm. I've, I've, I'm very in love with London, which isn't much Europe, any, you know, yeah. you know goodbye. But um, I fell in love with that place a lot and of some creative people there. And I want to go spend some time there. And, um, and then I've just spent, when I'm home for downtime, I can book my own shit. So I booked a really nice, lush tour for lush, meaning like a lot of good shit, not like fancy. Yeah, but yeah, there's yeah. a lot of stuff booked up until like October, you know? Oh, wow. And that's exciting to me and scary. I get nervous before I leave. It's mm. like, you should just go on away, you know? It's like half of the tour, I'm on my own, and then the boys meet me for the other half. So I'm not the most adventurous person in terms of like, Let's find a bike and go ride the river and go this to this landmark and like I'm yeah. I'm, I'm happy staying in a hotel and you have a lot of energy wise you are down like you then you get guilt you're like oh I'm in this wonderful place but my body and my brain are melted and I don't want to go out so those things make me nervous but um but yeah I've got a a lot booked and now it's nice to kind of prep for that mm-hmm. I think that's what I loved about jo- Joan Rivers documentary was like. She pulled out her calendar and she's like, you see this? And it was empty. And she's like, you never want this, ever want this. <laughs> you want this goddamn calendar to be full all the time. And it's true. It's good. So work your ass off and fill your calendar up and don't complain about it. Although I love to complain. You can ask anyone. I know. But yeah, just work. Yeah. And have fun and, and carve time out for yourself. Yeah. What do you, what do, you do for self-care, if anything? I watch Murder, She Wrote. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I've been different things. I've been focusing a lot on physical self-care just because this is my machine. Yeah. I enjoy that. I enjoy the madness of what a Christine show does to you. And if you're not ready for it, which for years I was just not ready for it, but I did it, you know? But I've been really involved in like just taking care of myself mentally and physically and pulling back some old things like I used to meditate and stuff like that and I've been kind of I've always just been searching like what is it for what I who I am and what I do what is that thing that fits my needs and I think everyone's got their own Mm -hmm. so I've just been more in tuned with what those things are and I've been implementing them into my life and I can do that when I'm at home it's best to build I've learned over the years like build those platforms when you're home and then try to hold on to them and take them with you mm. onto the road. I used to just build them at home and throw them, burn them in the fucking pier, and then go out there and burn it all down, you know? And that's that was great. And now I'm like, okay, nine years of burning that shit down, you better start to hold on to some of that shit. Yeah. Because you can't do it. Or you've seen what happens to people who do, which I greatly admire those people. But I know myself, and I know where I'll go, so... What's uh, your like long-term vision for your life? If you even look that far uh, ahead. I have I have trouble seeing old age. 
I can't picture some things, and it freaks me out a little bit. I can picture being coming down in an elevator in a chair and dying on stage as Rebecca. I can really picture that in my own bar that I own and that all my friends are performing. You know, like, in I don't know where. Like, I can picture that. Like, I, I, I'm very happy in small trailer spaces. I don't want no big house. I don't want no big this or that. You know, like, yeah. little trailers all over the place? Sure. Uh, a little bar? Yes. Uh, just like I don't want to manage it. I'm just going to get a team of responsible dykes to manage the whole bar <laughs> that I love and trust. And, you know, I don't know. I've PJ and I always talk about opening our own bar, especially Austin that has hardly any bars left for us. Yeah. Zero. Like, Chain Drive's gone. Charlie's is gone. Like, I just, there's so many bars that are gone now. So we always talked about that and places that need bars. But yeah, I can see that. I just see myself continuing to do what I'm doing, slowly evolving into who I want to be. And that's not something that happens overnight at all. Uh, but I'd like to speed it up a little bit. I'm a little tired of the speed it's at right now. So I'll go get my hair done today and speed it up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Do you struggle with feeling like you're enough? Is that part of kind of the wanting to speed up your progress? I think that I, I think I'm more than enough and I'm not allowing it out. I think I'm stifling my enough and that's what pisses me off. Like when you realize, I, re, I think I've got everything that's in there and more and things that I have not ex, um, discovered because of fear, because of stifling, because of listening to assholes out there who tell you differently or because of getting wrapped up in distractive bullshit that's out there that they're doing to us every day. I'm very interested in cutting through all of that fucking mire and bullshit of negative folks or the, the chaos of, of distraction and um, finding a direct channel to things within myself and within what's really kind of going on out there that's something that you can grab hold of and make a change with, you know? Um, yeah, I think that it's all there. I think there's more than enough inside of me that I don't even know that I haven't tapped mm. but I am aware that it will not surface unless I continue to evolve and listen to my gut and listen to what these things are that I'm making and that's kind of where I am right now like everything will wilt or become very moldy or stank and stale or commercial in a way that becomes a product mm. for someone if I don't really take the reins of self-exploration and quick turnover of like identity like really putting the, the pedal down of hard on self expression and, and evolution of self you know um, I'm at that point now where if, if I don't do it now something's gonna something's gonna crack hmm. not in a good way well you call that in a car like my cylinders cracked or some <laughs> shit like that something that will force me to buy a new engine and I don't want a new engine well I do want a new engine I guess but same car i don't know now i'm talking about cars and we're gonna really ruin this fucking conversation because i have no business talking about cars nor comparing myself to a car <laughs> well we should probably wrap this up i just have like one last maybe kind of fun question that mm, someone yeah. gave me do rebecca and christine exist in the same universe and i wonder what it would be like if they interacted with each other or had a conversation i <laughs> i mean yeah they do but 
I think Rebecca would be really Rebecca would treat Christine the way most older women I know bless her heart you know or like <laughs> my mom or you know or somebody yeah. like uh, I've introduced Christine as Rebecca before at our first album release I don't cross promote them often at all yeah very rarely if I really need to do a push I'll be like have Rebecca be like there's this weird thing in town looks interesting <laughs> y'all might want to go check it out but I ain't gonna be there kind of thing you know mm-hmm. And what would Christine think about Rebecca? Oh, she'd have be like Auntie Mame. <laughs> she'd be like ugly little Patrick, the Auntie Mame kind of situation. I do a lecture where I do all of them, but that's more about talking about my work. Like I've done this lecture a few times where I come in as Rebecca, sing a song, talk to you, and then I take her off in front of you. And I'm just sitting there in my underwear, and I talk to you as Paul about what I'm doing. And then I put Christine on in front of you and become Christine. Oh. So that's that they actually do cross in that situation. It's it's quite interesting. I would love to see that. Yeah, some weird shit. <laughs> it's unscripted. <laughs> I don't have a script. I'm just like I need to. Okay, but I don't know. You just have a conversation about it, you know. But uh, yeah, they they don't need to really be hanging out with each okay. other, and it's too much work. <laughs> so I really appreciate your time, Paul. Yeah, thanks for having me on your podcast yeah yeah we'll see what happens in a year if i'm still here or already in an elevator coming down to the bar let's <laughs> really speed things up <laughs> i hope so and i hope we can have more conversations in the future yeah i'm excited nice. to see what you do next thanks 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 for listening In lieu of my typical outro, I'd like to do something fun, and since Paul's cat Tickles Pickles made a cameo in the interview, I'd like to play a track from Christine's new album. This is just one of many songs that Paul makes up on the spot for his cat all of the time. Thanks. You got the right idea, Tickles Pickles. You do exactly what I need to do. We're gonna lay in bed and we ain't gonna give our heads a worry About what others want us to do We're gonna take a nap today and we're gonna forget all about you